Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest from the band Metallica, Robert Trujillo is on the show. And this is a, uh, oh, this is a really fun one. More on that in a second. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work for this show. I really appreciate that. More on that in a second, actually. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me at Left for Damien on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, there is also a TikTok page for the show, a YouTube page for the show, and a Facebook page for the show. All of those are found at Turned Out of Punk on their respective platforms. An Instagram, Instagram page too, if I didn't say it. And, uh, there's videos that I put up that I, uh, make out of, uh, some of the, some of the fun facts from old episodes. And you can find all of those over on those things there. I play in a band. We are called fucked up. Uh, we actually, uh, that's how I first met Robert. Uh, you can, uh, find us more information about us over at fuckedup.cc. We will be going on tour of the East coast of the United States coming up. And uh, there's some great, uh, it'll be actually some really cool shows coming up for that thing as well. And uh, I will see you out there on the road. Uh, and that is it. On to today's show. As I said off the top, Robert Trujillo is on the show from the band Metallica, a uh, bass legend, a Los Angeles bass legend. And this is something that hats off to Tristan Abraham, my brother, as I said off the top, and, and guest booker for this show and, and producer for this show, and Steve Martin from nasty little man for putting this together because this has been years in the making trying to get Robert on the show. And I, I gotta be honest, like I had not really come across a lot of stuff about Robert's punk rock past in my research prior to this and in other interviews I'd listened to and with him and always been a fan of him. And, and, you know, obviously it was in suicidal tendencies, but you never know, you know, I always thought he came to it through more of a, a friendship connection and, and a musical proficiency connection. And anyway, I just, I just hadn't read how deep it went and oh my gosh, spoilers on this, but this is a fun episode. Metallica has a brand new record and I heard it. This was a, uh, it was an incredible kind of cloak and dagger mission where I got to go and listen to this record all by myself in secret basically. And it's awesome. If you're going to listen to this thing when it comes out, this record is going to be premiering in movie theaters all around. I got to look this up. Probably the world, probably the world, but certainly North America, because it's happening in Toronto. I know it's happening all over the United States and, uh, they'll be doing screenings with this record. Like how many rock bands in 2000, what year are we now? 2023. <laughs> the years fly by, uh, 2023 can pull off having screenings for their, their records. Like I can't think of too many bands and I, I gotta say, I, there's been so many questions people have asked me about this record since I've heard it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a real journey kind of throughout Metallica and I think reflects a band that's kind of transitioned from, you know, just band to cultural institution. You know, there's, there's, it's like kind of a rarefied air and there's few bands that kind of exist in this space. Like maybe the, the Rolling Stones and I'd, I'd say the, the Grateful Dead in a way where these bands kind of have 
cultures unto themselves. And anyway, we dive into all this with Robert in a second, but uh, check out this new Metallic record. It will be dropping uh, this Friday, if you're listening to this thing, I guess Thursday night, uh, if you're going to the movie theaters and watching this thing. You can find out more information about screening times or or whatnot over at Metallica.film. And so head on out to a screening or listen to this thing where you consume your music or head out to an independent store and buy a copy of 72 Seasons. And yeah, I'm very excited. This is a huge event. This is like a, a this record, it's, it's rare that you get a big events like this in music, as I said. So I'm excited. All right, that's it. Everyone sit back, relax, enjoy Robert Trujillo on Turned Out a Punk. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, appreciate you. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate you. Believe me, this Thanks. is a this is a big one for me because, you know, obviously Metallica being, I think, you know, I was talking about this with some friends today, probably the biggest rock band in the world at this point. Like, I can't think of another band that could pull off movie screenings for a new record. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all surreal to me, you know, because as you know, uh, I, I came from a different universe, uh, you know, growing up. And I remember when Suicidal Tendencies, when I was in Suicidal Tendencies, and we were opening for Metallica and uh, probably this would have been maybe 93. And I just remember seeing Metallica, you know, we're the opening band. So I'm watching Metallica and the size of it all and everything. And it just didn't seem real you know I was like and he and I'm in and I'm on that stage playing too but I'm just kind of like wow <laughs> you know what a what a massive machine you know uh it's impressive you know it's definitely impressive but you know you know how it is you got to stay grounded well yeah and it feels like even like from that stage where I'm sure suicidal was playing with them with you to the stage you wind up joining the band to the stage right now it feels like you know like the ceiling keeps going up you know, it's not like the bands kind of like hit a level and stop. Like it's still, I was talking to a friend of mine today and he was talking about how his son completely independently from him has gotten super into Metallica. And wow. this is like a, a, like a, a 12 year old. And this is at a time when, you know, you've got kids, rock music doesn't necessarily speak to kids in the same way it did in prior generations. Yet there's still something about Metallica that that's finding kids. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, actually, I feel that uh, Metallica has this youthful quality to uh, in, a, in a sincerity to a lot of the music, you know, the earlier stuff, it just kind of speaks to everybody, you know, elders, middle aged youngsters, you know, there's something for everybody. Um, I mean, I remember when I was uh, coming up, my motivational uh, music was actually Slayer and Metallica. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd go running up in the Santa Monica mountains, preparing for a, a suicidal tour. Maybe this was 89. And I was listening to like Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, whatever. Three Slayer albums, you know, take your pick. And that was the motivation for me back then, you know. Uh, I remember when these bands first came out. Actually, it's funny because both Slayer and Metallica came out at the same time as Suicidal Tendencies' first album. 
So it all came up at the same time, and it was actually the same tribe, especially up in the Bay Area, because you know, uh, um, you know, San Francisco would accept suicidal tendencies, the band, but um, we couldn't. I wasn't in the band at the time, but suicidal couldn't play in LA. They were banned from there. So there's just sort of this youthful quality to Metallica that resonates uh, till this day. And I remember in 2003, when I first joined Metallica, there was a meeting with management. And one of the managers said, I don't know what to say, because St. Anger was about to come out. And um, and he was worried. He was actually like, you know, the fan, the, the uh, enrollment or whatever the, for the fan club had substantially dropped um album hasn't be, been released in a pretty long time uh, there was all this uncertainty and uh, i just remember feeling like wow you know that's motivating <laughs> that's not very motivating to hear from your manager that he's worried about the future of metallica basically and um you know saying anger came out and uh and it just was more of an introduction to uh to the band and that you know the band is back metallica's back and uh you know we're doing stuff again and then it was really death magnetic that kind of re-sparked it and that's when we started seeing what you're saying you know it's like wow you know there are kids out there and their grandparents out there and there's everything in between out there and there's skaters and you know gangbangers and you know skinheads and you know punkers and it's just like diverse and things started to kind of propel from there you know well i want to get there but i got to go back further when do you remember coming across punk when was the first time you ever heard about the genre robert well the for me punk you know was uh, uh vibrant on the west side of los angeles all over los angeles uh, in the early 80s and obviously being in high school at a time when a lot of musicians were uh, basically either punk or metal and i always kind of was somewhere in between i uh, embraced it all i mean i was listening to suicidal tendencies before i ever even knew mike muir you know fortunately my best friend in uh in high school in junior high became the guitar player that's how i got in the band rocky george um and uh and it's funny because some of the musicians that are actually on the first album uh, are still my friends, like Luigi Mayorga, the bass player, original bass player, is still a really great friend of mine. In fact, my son plays bass and he loaned Ty uh, a bass for a recent video they did, a song called Dance of the Dead. And it's actually the original bass that tracked institutionalized subliminal i saw your mommy and i said ty this is a historic instrument you got it's awesome you gotta you gotta play this thing so you know there's this connection uh that goes way back with um all these sincere punkers who who really were in the trenches and i used to see shows in backyard parties in venice uh, back in the day, it was a band called Neighborhood Watch. That, yes. Uh, oh, my that, God. Yeah. Oh, that LP is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Neighborhood Watch was one of the bands, and No Mercy and XL uh, was a part of that tribe. And uh, we just had a lot of these really cool, young, fired-up bands. And they kind of revolved around the energy. Uh, well, definitely revolved around the energy of suicidal tendencies. And then there was Black Flag right down the road coming out of South Bay 
you know, um, you know, Redondo Beach area and all that. And, uh, you know, it, 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 and, you know, it just seemed like there was just this vibrant punk scene that revolved around being a surfer and a skater. And that's what I was, you know, I, um, I never was a great skater, but I used to practice all the time. I had my Jay Adams skateboard and I was listening to, you know, some of these bands and, and uh, it was just a way of life. It was a lifestyle for us. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie. I loved, Black, you know, obviously Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, and some of the new wave too, as well. And then when I discovered bass, it was like, you know, definitely leaning towards the R&B and, you know, kind of Motown and all that. So I was taking it all in, you know, coming from the beach and embracing punk and jazz and everything, you know. Well, I read an interview uh, that you talked about what I think is the birth of L.A. punk, Earache in My Eye. I think that to me is the first L.A. Oh, punk yeah. song. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and like I went back and listened to it today and it rages. And it's funny because that's 74, oh. right? Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that is, uh, I mean, that song was kind of a cult hit at the time and I still till this day I mean I actually I have a, a a weird band strange offshoot band that I do with Kirk called the wedding band and we play actually we play a punk set we cover you know Dead Kennedys you know uh California Uber Alice we play Misfits we play like Black Coffee and Rise Above by a Black Flag, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, we 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 really have a lot of fun doing this, and we've done this in recent times. You know, we we did a show a year ago, and um, and and that song we actually covered that song a couple times, uh, and it was great. It was beautiful to play it with a horn section, and we did that just before the pandemic. We actually oh, that's awesome. Covered that song with a horn section and. Um, and that was a very powerful experience. <laughs> um, did, did you record it? Um, it? It's out there. You, I mean, it might be on a, on the internet somewhere, but we didn't record it, you know, uh, like as far as for release or anything. But we mix up our sets. Like we'll literally play uh, half the sets punk rock and then the other half is Black Sabbath and like Cool in the Gang or something. You know, it's like we have a lot of fun. It gives us the opportunity to really sort of you know, let our hair down. And, and we do this after shows sometimes, like literally Metallica, we'll play a show with Metallica. And then, you know, an hour later, we're on stage, you know, at the Fillmore or, uh, you know, at whatever local bar or tavern or ballroom that will allow us. And, uh, and it's just a lot of fun, you know, but earache my eye, I would say that's definitely an OG classic. Um, you know, he's basically rapping in a way. I mean, he's, mm. it's, it reminds me of like, like now that you mentioned it, it's kind of suicidal tendencies, the same thing. Totally. It's, like a, it's a story in, in its spoken words, but then there's a, there's a groove and a riff to it and a, um, you know, in, in a kind of a, a foundation with this really cool music. It's almost like a super angry version of the fall. I've always thought. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like I just, you know, again, coming from from uh, L.A. and everything and, uh, you know, having the, the, the you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the Latinos in the Hispanic community, being a Latino myself and and being able to identify with, uh, you know, Cheech Marin and 
and you know the the culture and all that it was a lot of fun you know that song was a lot of fun and it resonated especially for the times and then the big rolling paper you know when you when you bought the vinyl you got a big rolling paper it's like you know yeah those were good times um yeah the the uh, lyrics on that are are pretty uh kind of infectious they just they just win you over it's undeniable you know it, it, it and you know what uh uh chong canadian guy absolutely and also i think his name's gay delorn who played the riff uh, on it is uh-huh. Uh, born in Thunder Bay, but grew up in Edmonton. Really? Wow. So a, a strong Canadian LA connection in that song. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I just realized that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those songs that, you know, like you hear it now and it would have been something like, you know, yourself, like Rocky yeah. George, like all these people yeah. are kind of hearing it. So it is weirdly yeah. foundational to punk. Like it doesn't get taken up in the way the Stooges or, or, you know, your, your, your friends, the Velvet Underground get taken up, but right. it, it gets taken up kind of like, like differently, you know, like it, 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 but at the same time, it is just as important to incredibly vital music that comes out of Los Angeles later on. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it, it, it's, it's got a certain uh, ingredient where the riff is, is heavy enough. You know, it's like da 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 da. -da. It's simple, but it's effective, and it and you want to bang your head to it. And that, to me, is something that you find in a lot of you know, obviously, a great metal bands and uh, uh, like imagine a song like like Sweet Leaf by Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You know, down down da da da. Like you can imagine a horn section playing that. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's not different then earache my eye really. yeah the yeah. same you know it's the same recipe well it's interesting because i like obviously you know you, you work with ozzy extensively but like mm-hmm. it, they're they're to me like after the original inception of rock and roll like they're mm-hmm. the next band that's kind of like a great sonic leap forward to me like more than led zeppelin because mm-hmm. they're a band that kind of like shifted it and kind of opens the gate to this whole other world of kind of like darker music that's going to come out of it Right. And um, and it's very alternative because uh, uh, Sabbath was really different. And um, like you said, they brought this scary uh, ingredient to their to their whole thing. And the funny thing about that is I, I hear I've heard Ozzy tell stories about when The Exorcist came out, they were on tour and they went to see it and they were so frightened and scared shitless by this movie that they, they, cause they used to share hotel room. Right. So they're all in a hotel room. They slept with the lights on, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I could just imagine, you know, these young British guys going to see this movie. I was probably in the States, you know, and, you know, they're just like afraid that, you know, uh, they're going to become exercised or whatever. Possessed is the word. But um, you know those 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 kind of stories. When I hear them, I just I just think it's hilarious because Ozzy would say, "Can you imagine the Prince of Darkness sleeping with the lights on because he was frightened by the Exorcist?" You know, it's just uh, it, I, again, I've been blessed because I've you know become uh, great friends with my heroes, but also been able to create with them mm. and tour with them and all this. So I get to hear some of the funnier stories but but sabbath definitely had also when you talk about uh 
like just that punk edge. They had that because, I mean, Bill Ward and Ozzy were, they were, they were, they were kind of, you know, the whole jackass concept. And so they were doing that shit way before it yeah, was the Winnebago, popular. Right. They were yeah, talking to- <laughs> Exactly. They were doing that stuff way before anybody. And, uh, and it was sincere and honest and very, it would be very dangerous to do the things that they did now. I mean, in this day and age, and it's amazing that they survived it. Jeez. Well, that's what I always think about. Like, you know, I, I, I play in a band with a swear word name, but I have the blessing of coming in, in a, in a, like a post Metallica, post Slayer, post suicidal tendencies, post Nirvana mm-hmm. world. Like I could only imagine what it was like during his black Sabbath at yeah. that time, dealing with cops, dealing with just anything you're running into must've been yeah. super out of this world for these people to see. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, again, you know, those guys, they, uh, and, and there's a lot of other, I know a lot of skaters that probably have similar lifestyles, uh, historically, but you know, they survived a lot. And, um, and, you know, I always say that if there's ever a, a movie made about these guys, it, it's going to be the best, probably one of the best ever. Cause just the stories I've heard. Um, but again, take, you know, they, they fancy themselves like a blues jazz, you know, soul band in a lot of ways. And they found that evil, you know, flatted fifth in their in their music and turned it into a whole, you know, genre, really, um, which is a statement in itself, you know. Going back to, I guess, legends on a smaller scale, but like it's interesting because it come, brings up something you brought up earlier. Did you ever see Pap Smear, Rocky George's band with uh, some, I think Jeff from Slayer was in it? It's around... <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't see them play, but Jeff and Rocky used to, um, it's funny because back in the old days, they would prank call me all the time and they used to call me Lizard Boy. And uh, <laughs> so at three in the morning, I'd get these calls or uh, these these messages on back then it would have been, you know, we had our, our, our phone machines, yeah. uh, answering machines. And it hey, lizard boy, you know, and all this. And and uh um and, and the interesting thing about Jeff and Rocky, um, just really best friends, and they would geek out on everything from rap bands like like uh, ghetto boys, actually, uh, believe it or not, Jeff Henneman turned Rocky onto the ghetto boys and um you know, they got into NWA. They were like into all that music before it became popular and, and kind of just won everybody over. They already were on it. You know, they're already checking this stuff out. A lot of that came from Rick Rubin, too, because Jeff, you know, obviously was working with Rick. And uh, Rocky would then turn me on to this. So I was learning from, you know, Jeff was, I guess, kind of getting it from Rick. And then Jeff was presenting it and, and, and sharing it with Rocky and then Rocky was sharing it with me. And, and Jeff was always super cool with me. You know, he just, even on the clash of the Titans, uh, he was great. And then, and then, uh, in more recent times, you know, um, you know, the big four, he would actually come to my area where I would, you know, my little base zone with Metallica, he would hang out and have a beer there, uh, you know, with me. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what it was with him and sort of the other guys in the band. He was either more shy or or just more punk, you know? I mean, he's just more like I'm, you know, he's just rooted in punk and he really did love suicidal tendencies obviously. So he kind of 
like to hang out in my zone and uh and uh yeah it's a shame that he's not around he was a he's really an amazing uh player you know and, and, uh, vital to heavy music as we know it now no 100 percent. rest in peace because yeah it's it's amazing how not just for metal but for like you're saying because he rep punk super hard and like metallica repping punk super mm-hmm. hard it's amazing how much it comes up on this podcast is that being people's on-ramp to oh yeah getting into punk music yeah yeah definitely well you know i mean i always say you know with riffs you know and uh sort of the attitude and the edge of all that you know uh, where you come from and how you came up um you know like think about birmingham you know and and the music that's come out of there i mean geez you know diamond head uh judas priest obviously sabbath and many many more but there's just it's it's not a beautiful place you know i mean it's an edgy place it's like you know industrial i mean the south central la you know where these guys all came up like hetfield grew up you know on that side of town and and it was rough back then um so imagine you know you come out of high school or junior high or whatever and you're being chased by gangs and you're kind of in the thick of all this this heavy uh you know uh, uh, probably aggression at times too coming from all around and uh uh you know you're gonna write some riffs you know that's gonna propel you to create some badass stuff um, along with of course the influences that you're gonna bring in you know from all over the world but i'm just saying that there's something to be said for how you you come up and what you experience in your life and uh all that stuff in your youth which well, is, uh, it's reality music you know it's people yeah, thinking about their realities yeah. and what they're seeing and, and rather than fantasy music or yeah yeah you know you're really it's in you it's ingrained you're feeling it and it that's what comes out you know and your creativity so you went to high school in culver city right yes yeah did you know a band hated principles that would have been starting up early 80s? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yes. Oh my god. Yeah. That there they were yeah. What about what about them? That's a, So now now we're getting into something because uh Mitch Twersky was a good friend of mine and I remember uh I think it was the singer. Um there was a whole tribe that from Culver High that hung out. And I know it was Mitch Twersky. Uh, um, I, I mean, the names are kind Katz, of- I think Katz Brothers, maybe, the last name? Yeah, well, yeah, and there was a guy called Danny Tunick who yeah. played drums. And uh, Danny was an incredible musician. I mean, Danny could play, this is insane. Danny, you could, you could say, play uh, Black Dog by Led Zeppelin on the bass. And yeah. he would, you'd hand him a bass and he would like, it'd be sloppy, but he'd like, figure it out. You know what I mean? And play it on the piano. You know, he was just one of the, and he was a drummer. I mean, it was like, and he had all these crazy uh, doodles on his wall, like on his, on his wall. He had all these doodles everywhere with Sharpie and, um these guys were were out there but i do remember hated principles yes it's so weird that you brought these guys up yeah well it's funny because by the time you know fucked up starts going out to la those guys are still kind of around like they're like 
like kind of i guess well i guess they were lifers you know like we played with them mm-hmm. at a long beach warehouse or at least some of the guys mm-hmm. were in another band at a long beach warehouse and so mm-hmm. i love that I, and you really get that in los angeles there's almost sort of this like continuity to this punk scene mm-hmm. where like uh it, it's 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 more than just music it's a culture like you were saying before like it's a culture that a lifestyle that people kind of like took on and and, and stayed with it yeah no it, it, it's true i mean i i there was a a huge punk festival in uh ventura just this past weekend on saturday and uh um, i saw actually suicidal play um still amazing i mean it was it was really really great pennywise also played uh i'm good friends with fletcher i mean fletcher will he'll you know everybody knows fletcher i'll get i'll get calls from him it must be three in the morning and he's in like uh you know some bar in like spain or something hey robert say hi to my friends you know i mean three in the morning for him and yeah so you know but anyway i ran into greg greg hetson um you know uh bad religion circle jerks uh, red cross and i caught up with him for a while and uh and you know just lifers man you know mild mannered cool but lifers to the craft and uh you know, a lot of history there and people were coming up to him and actually much respect. And the people that were coming up to him are guys that have history and punk as well, you know, like diehards more on the fan level, but that are sort of integrated into sort of these camps, like the suicidal tendencies camp and everything. And they're going up to Greg and they're like much respect, you know, you know, music wouldn't be what it is you know it's cool it's great to see you know because usually in punk rock the musicians sometimes they don't get the credit that they deserve and um you know they're pretty humble about it um like greg's a humble dude but uh you know i i, I thought that was really a moment and this just happened saturday it was just a couple of days a few days ago um and let me tell you the crowd was pumped massive crowd I mean, this this music is uh, is still here yeah. and vibrant, and um, there are hardcore bands that are kicking ass, and and that whole movement is growing. I see it with my kids because they're listening to some of these bands, a lot of them, and just loving it, and they're getting me into it now. You know, bands like you know Vein FM and Tsunami and Terror, and you know uh, these different groups and. I'm getting sucked in too. And I'm like the oldest guy at, at the gig. I'm sitting there like an old man and I'm watching <laughs> all this go down. So I feel like, yeah, that's there's something brewing and, um, you know, and that excites me actually. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it does feel like for kids now, this is something that would speak to them because like the kids want real. And this is mm-hmm. music that's kids telling them that they can go and do this and, and become that next mm-hmm. generation. And it's wild to think of, you know, like we're running through names of people back then, like obscure bands and well-known bands and kind of bands in between. And you guys are all coming out of this like little tiny, ultimately section of Los Angeles, like sometimes mm-hmm. in the same high school. And it's just wild to yeah. think of how many talented people got entry to music through this world. And I guess backyard parties as well, right? Yeah, a lot of backyard parties. Fortunately, we had, you know, we we had the, well, we have, not, not so much lately because it's been raining like crazy, but we... <laughs> We have favorable weather, you know, and and uh, that definitely helps the backyard scene. Um, 
you know, uh, it's funny because last Sunday, my son played a gig. He's got two bands. He's got a, a hardcore band um, called Feed the Beast. And then he's got Auto, which is a power groove, but very melodic. And both bands actually played on the Venice Boardwalk. And the cops came and shut it down. And it was like just sort of edge of your seat kind of tension, but also exciting. You know what I yeah. mean? It was like, and it's like, man, this hasn't happened. You know, like some of the people that were there were like, you know, this hasn't happened since the doors. And then after that, it would have been Jane's addiction. And now it's happening with, you know, with auto, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was fun. You know, it was definitely fun because the cops came and, uh, so they obviously couldn't play. They had to stop playing. And then when they left, you know, it was decided that, um, you know, just go for it. You know, it's kind of like, just let's play two more songs, you know, them. And they, so they played two more songs and everybody's like waiting for the cops to come. And so the, the plan was two more songs, grab the gear, throw it in the truck, in the van, you know, like immediately just, you know, like, so there was like this kind of train of people handing you know, amps and PA gear and everything and throwing it into the truck, you know, but that's kind of, you know, that's the old school way, you know, that's, that's what's starting to happen again. Um, and, uh, and, and even in the slam and the mosh pits, you're seeing a lot of this kind of violent energy, but the truth of it is it's like kind of, uh, attached to this more of a, a loving, you know, are you okay? I just broke your nose. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of a thing. Whereas back in the days, you know, it was like, I broke your nose on purpose, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, or, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was very different in that way. You know, violence was a little more, uh, had the, a certain intent, you know, back then. Well, how hairy were those kind of early suicidal shows? Like, I'm sure you were going some of those early ones, right? When they were just kind well, of well, well, the the early shows um, were were the the most violent, you know, uh, that you can imagine because there was you know a lot of a lot of different factions coming to the to the gigs and stuff, and and that even transitioned into when I was in the band, like, but in places like Milwaukee, you know, and like. You know, we're kind of on the tour bus and the skinheads are waiting for us outside, you know, like weird stuff like that. And um, and yeah, there was some fights along the way for me. But back in the early days that you're talking about at the Olympic, there was always, always, you know, uh, someone was getting into it. Um, and it like back then, like I would just go to a party in Venice in like you know early 80s and it was guaranteed there was going to be a fight you know it was just like it just it just went with went with the territory it, it wasn't maybe it was always there was going to be a fight you know plan on it that kind of a thing so you know for better or worse that's how it was um and it was really really prevalent you know in the early days um but at the same time you know it goes with the territory uh if we had more time there's a lot of stories like uh, most of my friends that are musicians now uh in doing well like my friend dave kushner uh, from velvet revolver man he tells me stories about mike muir like you know like seeing mike muir you know getting some shit and then looking at him and saying don't you don't even try <laughs> and dave and dave's like okay you know because it was like a rival 
maybe a rival faction or something, you know, and they showed up. There was just that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, I grew up also um, because I grew up on the West Side. I worked at a pizza place and a uh, um, couple couple things I want to say real quick. So I actually I worked at a jazz club and on weekends. There would be this new age jazz music and this courtyard and there was outdoor, you know, in the sun. It was a vegetarian place and the suicidal guys live next door so they would take their pa gear and they would they would turn the speaker columns towards the uh the outdoor concert that that would be going on at the comeback it was called the comeback in and they would be like <laughs> you know and with like all this nice saxophone and this real you know smooth jazz you know and yeah. yelling obscenities to the owner of the club they didn't get along so well that the owner of the club, he was a German guy. Will was his name. He would roll into the kitchen because that's where suicidal used to rehearse. And he would, you know, he would basically tell them they're playing too loud or whatever. And so they had this kind of, you know, fighting, you know, neighbor, neighbor feuds. And then they would, you know, send it back at him through the PA system when he would have these concerts. And I worked there. I was a busboy. And there was a surf shop that was also sort of, uh, attached to the same complex, you could say. And um, and all those guys used to hang out there. And this is before I was ever in the band. So, uh, you know, that that's always a fond memory. And I worked at a pizza place. And, you know, that's where we had all the Dogtown skaters and the, you know, the uh, surf, surf team and all that were hanging out back then. So a lot of history in the area um, all across the board, you know, uh, you know, very progressive and an energized creative community back then i'm kind of fascinated by like you know it feels like it was at least in the sort of wider media coverage stifled post manson and post sunset strip riots like youth culture i mean in, in southern california mm -hmm. and like it's almost like this explosion happens like you're saying like across the board be it metal be it punk be it skateboarding and and surfing too i guess but also yeah. like hip-hop too like it just feels yeah. like this sort of like that we're still in like that, that explosion that kind of comes out of the West coast there is it just changed everything forever. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point because um, whether it was, you know, you mentioned the Manson family um, and uh, they were, they were hanging out at Venice beach. They were hanging out in Topanga Canyon where I live now. Um, they were a part of the DNA and it wasn't even just the Manson family. There was a, uh, there was a lot of different cults that were sort of, rooted in the same obviously not the violence but it, it was like you know just free love and and they a lot of them were musicians or trying to be mm -hmm. rock bands mm -hmm. at the time you know going into the early 70s and i remember an incident when i was living when i was um staying at my grandma my grandmother's house and house in hawthorne the manson family uh robbed a, a army surplus gun shop around the corner and um the cops uh, you know obviously they uh surrounded the whole area so one of the manson members ended up hiding in in our backyard in my grandmother's backyard so the cops were all like you know <laughs> had the guns pointed <laughs> and so my cousins and i we hid in the shower and my dad went to you know it's like again it's crazy because of the light you know the 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 
the helicopter was flying and lights were flying through the window. It was like a scene from like Close Encounters. And um, my dad went to the front door and he kind of tried to open it to see what was going on from that perspective. And the cops all had the guns drawn and they 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 said, you know, basically get get the fuck back in the house. <laughs> and uh, wow. And um, yeah, and and they, you know, they got if, if you go on the internet, you, you could read about it. it. Was in Hawthorne, and basically the plan was Manson family was gonna um, uh, steal these guns and all this ammo, and then hijack a plane at LAX and demand the release of Charlie because uh, he had been incarcerated. So they wanted to demand the release of Charlie and they were going to like fly to Mexico or wherever the hell they were going. And they obviously, you know, didn't, didn't pull it off. So the next morning, my cousins and I were looking for like bullet shells and we're like, you know, and this was like literally right, you know, two, two houses from the, uh, the main street where the store was. And, and that kind of energy, you know, just like between the factions and the cults and, seeing these characters on the Venice Beach boardwalk, but at the same time, you know, you're on your skateboard and I'm a little kid and I'm seeing the Hare Krishna people and they used to scare me, you know, something about them scared me. And, you know, all this, you know, different religions and, uh, um, you know, obviously the music scene was vibrant. Um, that was in the 70s, obviously, so it's different. Um, you know, it's an exciting time. You really could, you know, pull that, pull from that and and get motivated and and that that those are the things all that madness is what propelled me to uh to be creative and to actually you know you would do, I would do crazy things like I would ride my bicycle with my base on my back or 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 I would prop it up on my handlebars on my bike and I'd have an amplifier and I'd be kind of like riding you know miles i mean not just like down the block i mean it'd be like two miles to my friends to go jam you know yeah. and yeah and um and that that was the inspiration because between the bands in the backyard parties to the bands on the venice boardwalk you know just the street musicians to the you know what you would see uh you know on on you know tv or whatever you know everything was just vibrance um and there was that hint of danger, you know, like I was talking about with, you know, you, you know, hear something in the news, you know, somebody's on the loose. <laughs> it's just like, like, you know. Well, that's why I feel like, like that, you know, because there's a sort of historic moment that the first wave LA punk people, like the mask kind of people talk about mm -hmm. where hardcore came in and it ruined everything for them because these kids brought violence. And I think what these people fail to understand is like what was actually happening is these kids were just bringing their reality. Like this was right. things that people were dealing with. Like these gangs weren't formed at punk shows. Like these gangs were formed for protection in neighborhoods that kids were a part right. of that ultimately became part of their punk world. But it's not like, it wasn't like this sort of sinister plan to ruin the scene that I think it gets painted as sometimes, because like you're saying, this right. is, this is like a rough LA is a rough place for some people. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and I know uh, I've heard Lars talk about it, you know, wanting to belong and, and needing, a, a, you know, a community and, and a, a, you know, you have, I guess your tribe, finding your tribe. And, um, and a lot of the people that I grew up with came from, again, you know, they single parents, 
a lot of freedom. The freedom that we had back then was just ridiculous. It's like you're 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 like my parents were younger, you know. So it's like my mom, she was 19 when she had me. My dad was 21. So, you know, they're still having fun and you know, they divorced when I was five. So they're doing their thing, right? And and I'm just sort of left with my cousins and um, you know, my cousins are taking me out late at night and we're on skateboards and they're robbing like gardener trucks and doing stupid stuff and which, which, you know, obviously isn't cool, but I mean, it's like, that's kind of what you got thrown into, you know, uh, uh, you just, uh, you're stuck with your tribe, you know, and, um, and, you know, trying to find a, a, a way to just have fun with your freedom we used to like things i would never do like 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 climbing on uh railroad track bridges and stuff and storm drains that you know i mean it's just and your parents don't even know where you are you, you come home at midnight and it's like oh he's home it's cool you know what i mean it's just like don't know where you were or anything and that's just how it was for a lot of the kids you know a lot of the a lot of the skaters actually were just and i guess at the same time that's kind of what made you know, either the bands or the musicians, but also, you know, the athletes, you know, really great because they just had freedom and time because the parents didn't care. The parents yeah. were, you know, they were battling their demons. So basically it was just like, yeah, man, go play rock and roll. Yeah, man, go, uh, you know, whatever, you know, go ride that ramp, you know, or, you know, oh, they're, they're, you're going to that skate park. Oh, okay. Who are you going with? okay yeah we well, we don't know them but that's okay you know just make sure that you give us a call later it's like you know it, it's just kind of how it was <laughs> well and like as much as there are sinister people within these scenes at the same time like what a positive place for kids to wind up where you're driven to play music you want to get better because the people around you are all playing music like or or, or like you're saying the athletes mm -hmm. the people that are doing skateboarding mm -hmm. like these ultimately become safe spaces for kids and without these things it's like where would people like you're saying you'd be in storm dreams without if you didn't go to band practice yeah exactly yeah i told my friend's father my my friend's dad that one time and he was like you know you should be hanging out in storm drains it's uh <laughs> it's not safe you know i'm like oh damn I, I, I gave i give it away you know yeah i mean yeah exactly i mean it's just you know again going back to the to the you know your tribe and you know and how you came up and and you know being motivated by you know all of the, the the musical energy but also you know i remember like listening to black sabbath because my friends older brothers were totally into it and we would like you know turn out the lights light a candle and then we would play uh you know the song black sabbath and we'd scare ourselves and we'd imagine that you know, Ozzy was this mystical, you know, man, you know, and uh, try to talk like him and all this stuff. It was just silly, you know, um, but that's how we were, man, you know, but we'd also at the same time we were doing that, we'd be doing dance routines, you know, to, you know, <laughs> trying to pop lock and stuff, you know, because we like Parliament Funkadelic, you know, it was like, it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah, no, and, it, and it, like, obviously, it drives you to become you know, not just a musician that's playing backyard parties, but like you took it to the next level, right? Like went to pursued it academically. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, at a certain point, I, uh, you know, I started playing in various bands around town. I was taken on a lot. I mean, 
kind of more classic rock but then i would be in like a new wave band and then i'd be in like some kind of a more funk driven uh band uh, i had a band called true colors at the time and and uh there was a lot of bass in that group a lot of this a lot of that and uh and it was a lot of fun you know we played um the clubs that we played there was a club called madam wong's west yes and then, uh, yeah we played there a lot and it's funny because i remember seeing like glenn glenn danzig there uh playing you know danzig and i remember uh you know running into james i didn't know him <laughs> it was before the 93 tour and i just thought oh like there's there's james and uh some friends of mine and i were going to go up and jam and we were actually going to play uh ride the lightning and um and i asked i was drunk and i was kind of pretty stupid at the time so i was like hey man will you jam with us you know like you know and he goes and james had a beer in his hand he's like uh no he goes if i'm gonna jam with anybody i'm gonna jam with him and he points at glenn you know danzig <laughs> yeah. like, like, I go, okay that makes sense and then we just butchered the song of course you know it was it was i don't even remember playing it i and i do remember this so uh the publication the la weekly was there and then mike muir was quoted as saying you know my my because a couple of the i guess myself and maybe the guitar player i'm not sure got up there to play this metallica song and he was like this was very embarrassing and i please do not associate me with this performance something like that <laughs> you know on how crappy we played this song you know metallica and everything but that but you know again you know it was fun everybody's hanging out and you know it's like you know madam wong's west was one of the places where you could see a, a variety of uh of bands uh you know mostly though it hinged a little more it was a little more or less sort of sunset metal it wasn't so much that that was primarily uh the sunset scene and all that was happening um obviously on sunset strip but parts of uh um uh like north hollywood and a couple spots down in uh in orange county but madam wong's west was more kind of new wave and and you know punk uh, uh, more of that kind of a vibe i guess carrying on the old madam wong's kind of tradition y yeah well well madam wong's east yeah was there was two 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 venues and there was madam wong's east too um that was the first time i when rocky george uh played uh recorded his first album join the army with suicidal tendencies rodney bingenheimer who was the the, the dj back then for k-rock k-r-o-q um we were all in this parking lot the band i was playing in uh at the time we were in this parking lot and they had one of those barricade buried you know the arm barricade and uh we didn't want to pay so the singer he was in a truck and there was like two or three cars behind and and i remember listening to the radio and it was roddy bingenheimer and he was like hey you know we're all waiting to bash through this bar barricade and uh and it was perfect timing because and i'll never forget this because rodney's basically introducing the song war inside my head the new single from suicidal tendencies off the join the army album and i'm like oh my god i'm turning up the, the this special moment and literally right in perfect sync with the okay every you know the guy lead singer puts his arm down like revs the engine and we all break through the barricade and it's like whoa you know like a chase scene 
and I'm listening to War Inside My Head for the first time, then you know, whoa, it's on my head. And I'm like, oh, and I was, it was such a moment for me because I was so proud of Rocky. Like he's made it. He's on the radio. Rodney's talking about his band. And it was just like, ah, oh, man, this is great. You know? Um, yeah. And that was Madame Wong's East actually when that happened. So a lot of memories, you know, just like, you know, all these memories um, that revolve around the punk scene and, um, you know, and just being a young musician coming up, you know, inspired. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, because like uh, CJ Ramon came on the show one time and unfortunately the episode got lost, but um, mm -hmm. it was an incredible conversation because he talked about how when he joined the Ramones, it was such like a, a rough period for the band and like mm -hmm. being this guy that had come through the military and he felt like it had prepared him for this situation. I was going to ask you, like, if James that night had turned to you and been like, do you want to join Metallica? Do you think you would have been ready for what you ultimately had to do? Cause it's like very well documented in the movie. It's a very rough period in Metallica where right. you kind of come in right. and you know, like you were there, I don't know, but I think if, if another personality who's been in there, who hadn't been through being in a band with, with Mike Muir, being in a band with Ozzy, right. Well, would they have been able to handle it. Well, at that time, um, as a musician, you know, as a, as a player, I don't know that I wouldn't have been, would have been able to handle it because like, when I first joined the band, the workload was so intense. Like it was, uh, um, it, it, it exceeded, exceeded anything I'd ever experienced in terms of the workload and the responsibility. And, um, you know, the back catalog was so extensive and, um, and I don't know if I could have handled it back then, you know, it just, it would have been like, like I always, I mean, in 2003, when I joined the band, it was already, it already had taken me two years to get caught up just in terms of learning, you know, back catalog. And then also having to learn the entire St. Anger album, you know, which hadn't really been recorded um, like as a as a sort of unit. Um, I didn't play on that album, of course. So learning an album, you know, the St. Anger album and its entirety, and then also trying to figure out what songs Metallica is going to go on tour with, you know, was a challenge for me. So there was a lot involved. So the funny thing is, is when people say, oh, man, that's so cool when you got the gig and you must have been so happy, you know, what did you do? And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I, I, I immediately thought to myself, I got to roll up my sleeves and get to work, you know. So if you're going back to uh, 91 or whatever, when that was uh man yeah i i don't know that i would have been uh ready to take that sort of responsibility on at that level um i was still learning i was still growing i uh um you know i'm always learning and growing everything that i ever do you know my so everything that i've ever done in my career i was learning and growing with suicidal tendencies obviously you know i was even just learning how to tour i mean i didn't i wasn't wasn't used to lobby calls or anything and um so metallica is is it is a uh, you know especially back then it's like metallica parties hard but guess what you got to be ready for that six o'clock wake-up call and you got to get on that stage and 
and and handle your take care of your business you know what i mean and represent and uh, again it took me a good two years to just sort of catch up in learning the set so all that early stuff were like in 2003 2004 i'm like literally you know i'm just absorbing it all and i'm trying to to just figure out where i belong in metallica and um and then uh it wasn't sort of until death magnetic where i uh started to kind of catch up on the songs that i needed to learn and i started learning songs like dyer's eve and you know call of cthulhu i started like jumping ahead of them and i started learning songs that they never even played like freight ends of sanity i learned that thing three years before we ever played it because i never wanted to feel the way i did those first couple years trying to play catch up and having you know cheat sheets on stage sometimes and i just just it, you know I, I i but there's nothing else i could do you know it was just like overwhelming um and uh you know eventually you know like i said i probably knew a few more songs than than they did um you know and, and i never wanted to bother them too like in learning the songs i always really dove deep i even got the the music books because we didn't have uh you know now you can go online and you can find the bass to uh anything or the guitar parts anything it's all on the, you know you go online and it's like I want to learn how to play uh freight ends of sanity let me see you know you can find out how other people are doing it you didn't have that option back then you know, you know by the sheet music the uh the, the black album sheet music thing that everyone had as a teenager <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I was literally like going into that and i'm in the band and i'm yeah. like going into you know into these books and uh but and, it's and, fun those were gone i mean no i was just going to say that's because I, I i wanted to learn as much as i possibly could before i had to ask you know like james how does this part go you know i wanted to learn like 90 percent of the song and then i could say what note is that or what you know it, it, and especially with justice for all because it was really hard to hear the the bass on that so you know there was a guy of uh, in new york who actually recorded uh bass and and uh, like he was able to like track bass and then have it on the actual record so you could it said it was called justice for all with bass um and uh and i actually met like i ran into the guy uh just within the last year he's a tour manager now his name <laughs> is slipping from me right now but uh but we were laughing about that i go i listened to your your cd man it, you helped me and i was like <laughs> you, you kind of helped me but, uh uh yeah so you know you find ways to do it to get it done and then and and that's just how it is you know you you got to work dive in but when i when i uh got the call to join the band and then the call to come to come up to san francisco my life changed you know i immediately was sort of thrown into this new world you know i didn't have a family back then and obviously a couple of years later you know, i have a family and uh I wasn't down in LA for a long time. I, I maybe I come down for a day or two, but I was, you know, really kind of, you know, uh, uh, integrated into, uh, you know, you know, working and and being up in the Bay Area, and and it was sort of my new life for a while. Um, so everything was really intense uh, at that time. Well, because like you know, you watch the documentary, and obviously your playing gets you immediately in the door. Like they say that when you're when you're done they're like 
you know, Robert nailed it. Like he was so in the pocket for all this stuff. And so you're in there, but like watching that documentary, seeing those people, and I don't know all of them personally, but I've met some of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Metallica is able to do this new record, which is a monster, by the way, the new album mm-hmm. is, is, is fucking fantastic. Oh, and your yeah, vocals yeah. are killer. Like, yeah, I didn't know yeah. it was you doing the vocals till I was like, who do they keep bringing in as guest vocalists? But right. yeah, it's wild. Like, but it's a, uh, it, like, I just don't know if Metallica is able to get to this album with any of those other dudes. I don't want you to shit talk them, obviously, but like any right. of those other dudes doing it, because I think in addition to being this incredible player, you're obviously someone that can navigate Psycho Mike and also navigate Ozzy Osbourne, two of these sort of legendary personalities. So, right. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, so and this is important. And, I, and I've said this before you know, kind of recently when you're in a band, as long as, 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 you know, uh, I've been in Metallica or some of these other groups, you know, again, suicidal tendencies, nine years, Ozzy Osbourne, seven years. Um, you know, I worked with Jerry Cantrell on his degradation trip album for a couple of years. And Jerry was in a, in a bad place. You mm-hmm. know, he was a challenge. I, when I was uh, working with Zach Wild on some of the Black Label stuff, helping him out, and and it's no secret, Zach was he was he was a wild dude. He was a wild. Yeah. He was wild. You know, I mean, yeah. it was just I just sort of always uh, sort of ended up in in various musical situations where I think I got the the the. Uh, the members or the musicians at their kind of most radical time and coming from a family uh you know with my dad and everything and and challenge and, and being challenged with you know certain personalities growing up you know now ha- here i am in 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 the, in the world of being in a band and to have a, su- a successful run with a band you really have to understand the people the individuals and you have to know how to cater to their personalities and you have to um, be flexible. All this is super important. There's a lot of great players. I mean, there's a lot of great players. That's only part of it, you know. And there's a and and like I, I'm a writer. I write. I mean, it's like you know, I I love songwriting. You know, I obviously I co-wrote Ozzy's new record, and um. So, but that but that's not the main thing in Metallica, you know, it's like writing is part of it. It's like, I will contribute hundred percent as a writer. If it calls for that, you know, if I'm my, my role is to support someone else's song, which often, you know, it is, or to uh, support your brother, you know, it's like, Hey, James needs a friend. You know, I need to be a friend now. I need to be, you know, more than a friend. I need to be a brother like Kirk, you know, Lars, it's like, that's uh how it is you know you've got to be uh flexible you've got to be sensitive to the situation and uh and that's involved and i i look at my career and i look at how things were with ozzy and and how to deal with that and sometimes you know it was it was challenging because you never knew what was going on but i would never turn around and go oh you know like like disrespect Ozzy or disrespect any of the bands I played in because they helped me become who I am. You know what I mean? They helped me grow and become a better person. Of course, become a better musician, but also to become a better person, which then I can obviously bring that into Metallica and help keep this, you know, 
you know, this magic alive, this magic carpet, you know, keep us going. And, um, and, and I do believe 72 seasons is a, a, a product of, you know, the challenges of whether it's the pandemic or whether it's, you know, other things that were challenging, um, say three or four years ago, you know, there's always going to be something and you got, I always say you're in the jungle, you know, and, you know, you got mosquitoes and snakes and, creatures coming at you and you see the light at the end of that, you know, at the end of that jungle and you want to get there, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, and, and, and sometimes it gets rough, but then you get there and then you have the success and, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing, you know, so it's never easy, man. You know, you, you, you got to keep rolling with it, but 72 seasons, is a great album. And I tell you, it's the, it's the best one I've made with this band and is a collaborative record. It's a very collaborative record, and uh, and I love that. I love it when we can actually contribute on that level, and every note is played from the heart, you know. And that has a lot to do with not being able to be together in the beginning of this, because we were writing from you know our home studios together and 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 creating that way. So once we got in the room together, it was like, oh yeah, man, you know, it's like it just felt that much more special. I think for most bands obviously so 72 seasons resonates with the energy of us being back in the room and celebrating you know that you know magic and that energy of jamming and and you know um communicating you know with our instruments again the way it's sequenced it really does feel kind of like a journey through metallica like it feels it starts thrashier and ends closer to sort of like you know, early nineties, mid nineties Metallica, you know, like yeah. it feels like it, uh, was that a deliberate thing or is that like, just, well, I, I think, you know, in general, you know, Lars, he definitely likes to look at the overall, uh, kind of, uh, recipes of great Metallica songs. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, uh, the 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 art piece so to speak it's like imagine a blank canvas and you're like okay you know if you're thinking about sad but true you're thinking about this you're thinking about you know uh, uh an, an epic like in in marata is an epic you know what i mean that's a we say that's the shortest 11 minute song metallica's you know it's the longest song metallica's ever made and it's at the same time it just feels like it's not 11 minutes because it's really well arranged and in uh and produced um we have a great team too i mean the uh, our engineering team you know greg fiddleman our producer and that whole tribe you know that has come up from la to to uh, bring this music to the world sonically is just great because they're so committed they're soldiers within and um and as you know you know yourself your producers and your engineers and your artists, you know, your, your graphic team, everybody, you're like a family. So, you know, this album speaks to them as well. You know, uh, our techs, you know, are, are, are some of the best, our crew. Um, so it's a powerful statement on a, on a lot of different levels. And um, it, it it is what it is for those reasons, you know, uh, it's, it's the musicians, of course, but then, you know, having, you know, uh, your family with you, your Metallica family, um, 
to be able to create and have things sound the way they do and all that is essential. Well, Robert, this has been one of my favorite conversations I've ever gotten to have. It's lived up to all the expectations. I hated principles. We got to talk about hated principles. That was yeah. <laughs> that, that is a name from the past, man. In fact, when you said that, it started. To, I started to see the members. Like I actually, in my mind, I started to see. You know, I think Mark was the. I think so. The, I was trying. I wish I had written down all the namers yeah. of the. I actually was going to bring over the seven inch, but I didn't want yeah, to steal yeah. Nardward's gimmick. There's Mitch, yeah. Jose, Captain Anarchy, Dave F, Don Secchi, Drew Von Busick, but yeah. Mitch T too as well. Yo, okay. Mitch Twersky. Oh yeah. my God. Oh, <laughs> damn. Okay. All um, right. Before I let you go, can I briefly ask you about what I think is probably the mis misunderstood, maybe rock record ever? And a record that I I hated on at first, but it was actually Dale Crover from the Melvins that was like, you got to listen to it and and, mm -hmm. and appreciate it, isolated from all the bullshit that people are putting on it. And that's Lulu. I, and I went back and listened yeah. to it recently. Yeah. It's kind of a record that you know years from now people are going to go back to and right. try and understand it in a way they just seem to reject it on concept. Well, Lulu was... Uh... Uh, a very important um, for a lot of reasons because I feel like Lou Reed really helped sort of instill this like like he was opposite in a lot of ways than say Metallica would think in terms of how to create and he was like Lou like Lou's thing was like there's no mistake every note you know is important you know so you can never have a mistake you know see so if you whereas you know obviously in the tradition of metallica back in the day it was like if you hit a sour note man you know you get the death stare or whatever <laughs> you know and uh and whereas lou's saying there's no mistakes man you know it, it's just like this is this is art you know it, it's like um and uh to be able to have those moments where we could just create without uh um you know, um, kind of like, uh, how do you say, you know, just, just kind of free, you know, mm -hmm. there was some free moments mm -hmm. where we were just riding that wave together. And um, some of that magic is definitely on there. And, and you know, I really like uh, the, uh, actually the music video we did with Darren Aronofsky is, was, was, was pretty cool. Some of that stuff. Yeah. You listen back and if you give it a chance, you listen to some of those riffs, you know, it, it, it there's something there, you know what I mean? It, it was definitely experimental. Yeah. Um, and we learned a lot from that experience, which then helped the next phase of creativity and, 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 you know, and hardwired and all that, uh, you know, we're always learning and growing. That's what I love about Metallica. There's no shortage of riffs. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's crazy. That's why you get so many riffs in a song because there's so many great riffs and, uh, you know, between James Kirk and myself, just like there, there's, there's almost, we almost have too much to, to present. So a lot of stuff doesn't even get heard, you know? So it's just like, there's just no shortage of ideas. And it's true when we put on our instruments, you know, you know, we're like back in the garage, you know, it's fun and we're having a good time and we can leave everything in life, all the other things in life, put that aside and enjoy the music together at, at our age. And that's why I know and believe that 
there's still going to be great music coming out in the future you know well you got to keep writing those riffs because hardcore bands need somewhere to steal from i hear you man i hear you <laughs> sometimes i'm like listening to their stuff going damn i like that you know <laughs> i gotta remember that one you know it's it's really great yeah that's a whole nother thing i love it it's it's inspiring i came back from a show at the belasco is that what it is the, there's a new venue down in downtown la um i think it's the belasco and uh uh and also there's the region and you see these bands play and you walk out of there and you're glowing you're just like you know it makes me want to actually you know when i get home i'm picking up my bass and i'm trying and i'm coming up with riffs because it's, it's inspiring and that's coming from you know the younger tribe um i love that it's it's uh it gives hope for live music and i think it's all coming back my man yeah well it's i here. love this i i love this robert and anytime you want to come back and talk about backyard shows or hated principles or any of it yeah. you know you're yeah, always brother. welcome all right cool man thank you thank you robert for coming on this show and you heard right there robert will hopefully be back one day for a part two because i didn't even ask him about the Christ cover that him and uh, kirk did or i didn't even ask him about Neighborhood Watch and not follow up on that because uh, there was just so much, so little time. But uh, appreciate Robert for coming on the show. And again, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Tristan. Uh, that was awesome. Speaking of awesome, though, we're going to keep the awesome coming because on the next episode of Turn It to Punk, it's going to be a splits, and we're going to keep another four-chord wonder in the house in the form of Glenn Matlock. And because it's a splits, it's not just one, but two returning guests. I'm putting together a fantasy draft of one of the great rhythm sections for punk you could put together glenn matlock and my buddy my pal my hero my my mentor john worster from the band mountain goats formerly of super chunk also in an unbelievably successful uh, comedy duo sharpling and worster one of the greatest comedy duos of all time i've said this forever there's no one that has a streak like they have in comedy for knocking it out of the park in the form of the best show and calls on the best show and other projects they've done together. Anyway, we, we, we don't talk about that next week. We talk a lot about Glenn Matlock and Rich Kids. And man, John is amazing on this episode. It's a good one. Glenn's impressed. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different religions and different races because we're not talking about political issues. These are not political issues. These are basic human rights issues. People deserve to be able to live free from hatred and violence and discrimination. So if there's organizations that you see affecting positive change in your world and you uh, think they should be supported, support them. And donate your time, donate your money. Uh, you know, try and affect positive change. Uh, speaking of which, punk is somewhere that you affect positive change by getting involved in. So start a band, start a fanzine, uh, draw a poster, do, do, do something, get involved. You know, it also helps mental health. Speaking of helping mental health, try meditation. Anyone can do it. You know, you just sit there and, and you know, I know people have known this for centuries, but it's something fairly new to me. And my gosh, it, it is beneficial, you know. I'm finding great benefit in slowing things down and, and uh, you know, just breathing. So, you know, and if it doesn't 
take it first, try it again. It took took a while for me too, and uh, you know, as I say, it did, it did come eventually. Uh, also, sign your organ donor card because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're literally dead meat, and uh, they can't. You know, what are they going to do? You know, but just waste them. So, you know, I've seen it happen with my own eyes. You can perform miracles by signing that or- organ donor card, uh, and that is it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe, and I will see you on the next episode.